One of my clients right now, they do about $20 million in revenue annually. And this is consistently over wow. the past couple of years. However, their net profit margin when they came to me was 1%. 1% at 20 million in revenue? One oh, percent. Were they giving themselves salaries or was it just? Not even. It's yeah. just the <laughs> fact that everything was so convoluted and it wasn't being tracked accurately. They had multiple companies. They uh, separated their companies by state, by asset class, by everything. Uh-huh. And then they had a management company too. And they were just like, oh, we're going to move this here and do all this because it was advised to them by a CPA, right? A tax advisor. Oh, this would be really good. Then they heard through that tax advisor, oh, this is great for legal compliance as well. We'll be able to separate your assets and your liabilities. The biggest thing is when we get into these complex situations, if you don't have somebody who's laying out the strategy for you or walking you through these strategies, oftentimes, even when you set these up, it all fall apart because you do not know how to manage it. Welcome to the Collecting Keys Podcast, the show where you'll learn how to use real estate to create massive income not just passive income. Real estate doesn't have to be a get rich slow game. Listen to the country's top real estate operators and you'll have all the tools you need to replace your W-2 income and go beyond in under 12 months. Ready to take things to the next level? Let's jump in with our hosts, Mike DeHaan and Dan Austin for today's episode of the Collecting Keys Podcast. What is going on, guys? On today's episode of the Collecting Keys Real Estate Investing Podcast, we have Michael Glaspie, who is a very successful real estate investor out of Fayetteville, North Carolina. And he also runs a fractional CFO business, focusing specifically on real estate-based businesses. So what that means is he comes in as basically a financial consultant to help figure out how to optimize people's businesses, how to optimize their cash flow, how to make sure they're being as efficient with their cash as possible, you know, they're planning effectively for their taxes, how they're going to grow. They're doing all the things that they need to do that are kind of like additional strategy to what your bookkeeper and accountant can probably do. So in this episode, we do do like a pretty big deep dive around business and business finance and all those sort of things. This is definitely a bit of a dense episode. You want to take some notes and you will also want to reach out to Michael after the show and see if he has some additional information for you. If he did tell me afterwards that he actually has some like free uh, services and stuff that you can ask him for if you wanted to get like some additional information about how to set some of this stuff up yourself. If he's not quite the right fit for you, you're not ready to bring someone in to work with you on that kind of a paid basis. So hit him up there and ask for those. And besides that, if you are trying to scale your business, definitely don't be afraid to reach out to him because if you find that you are kind of always dealing with cash problems, as a lot of us as real estate investors typically are, Usually it's kind of just because of poor management and because we don't know what we're doing, okay? So don't be afraid to reach out to them because of that. Besides that, guys, you should go to collectingkeys.com slash scale and you can check out our scale community. We will probably be having Michael Glassby come and speak to our group soon since many of the people there, as they are growing and scaling their businesses as part of our scale community, they start to face these cash flow problems. And part of our value add to that community is to bring people like Michael in to help them figure out how to do things a little bit better so if you're interested in being a part of that community, go to collectingkeys.com slash scale and see if you're a good fit. Aside from that, guys, reach out to Michael. People do these shows because they want exposure. They want you to reach out to them. They want to engage with you. So seriously, don't be shy. Anyways, everyone, thanks for listening and enjoy the show with Michael Glaspie. All right, Michael Glaspie from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Super excited to have you on the show, man. 
And uh, I don't want to introduce you as like Shelby's business partner because I don't think that that is a fair way to introduce <laughs> somebody as like directly connected to somebody else. But uh, you are a the business partner of the very popular Shelby Johnson that we had on our show, I guess about a couple months ago when this one comes out. So welcome in. Super excited to have you on the show. So I guess to give the people a little bit of a preview, we're going to be diving into Michael's investment background. Um, we're going to dive into his additional job that he has as a fractional CFO, which I'm super excited yeah. about. And as we found out before the show, we're actually going to be going into his $55 million tax fraud. That, uh, <laughs> if you Google his name. Google his name, you'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, not a really good one too, because the fact that you are like doing fractional CFO stuff, like it, you could like really draw the line to that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. And the fact that it was the fifty-five million on real estate at that, so yeah, it was like can't get worse than that. Exactly. Yeah. So just just because that's, that's a little bit of a joke we discussed before the show. If you Google Michael Glassby's name, you will find an elderly gentleman that has been indicted for fifty-five million dollar tax fraud, and there is no relation here at all. So at don't all. let that Not affect your your <laughs> yeah. interest in uh, in Michael's uh, CFO. So, anyways, man, so people who haven't heard of you, let's have a high level overview of kind of you know who you are and what exactly your business looks like right now. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. So Mike Lasby, no relation to the 72-year-old man with all that millions and millions and millions of dollars of fraud. Um, so my over high view background is I am originally from Texas, which is the greatest country in the world. <laughs> I joined the military coming out of college, right? So as I joined the military, it took me all over the world. I had opportunities to travel to several different countries and I was actually in it for 11 years. But at around year four or so, um, I had actually bought my first property and I was ultimately, I was house hacking. Had no idea what house hacking was at the moment. Had a couple of my single soldier buddies staying with me, you know, really just kind of reducing that more. Well, lo and behold, I started playing around with a ton of different things and real estate just kind of kept coming back to the surface. And so over that time, I've been able to, at the height of my portfolio, I had over 134 properties. Uh, I've done subject twos, wholesales, syndication, uh, wraparound mortgages, lease options, fill in the blank, and I've done a little bit of everything. During that time, you mentioned uh, Shelby Johnson, which uh, is my business partner. We actually met, so I had already been investing for a couple of years, and she had been a rock star real estate agent by the time that I met her. And that's actually kind of how we met. I was trying to get her to represent me on an investment property. Well, we started, you know, clicking, and at that time, we found a really good opportunity to work together, where we wanted to create a team of agents. And, and she told the whole story there with an investment focus where I really brought in a lot of the investment side of the house and she brought in a lot of the agents inside of the house. And that company has now grown to, we're over 170 agents uh, spread across the country. So that one is still up, running and functioning. So during that time, we know we got that built out. I really focused on commercial real estate and we can talk about that a little bit more later on, but the commercial real estate takes a lot of the emotion out of it and it gets really down to the numbers and uh -huh. What are the results? And I really enjoy that part of real estate and finance. So I had also pursued my MBA at that time. And during this whole time, after building up a decent reputation within real estate, having the financial background, I got an opportunity to work as a CFO for a small private equity firm that focused on hotel acquisitions, Airbnb portfolios, things of that nature. And that's where I really found that where my interests all aligned. Yeah. Right. Really understanding the finance, looking at operational efficiencies. How do we improve profitability? Right. Keep more of the money that we earn and all within the realm of real estate. Yeah. That led me to starting my own fractional CFO company that I have been running now for a little over two years. And yeah, it leads me to where we are today. 
Awesome. So a few questions here. Yeah. Some of these will be a little bit odd or people might think they're odd. So what did you get your undergrad in? Business. Yeah, it was. Business. Uh, okay, yeah. so business. Okay, not accounting. It was a uh, general management with a minor in accounting or minor in finance. Okay, then when you joined the military, were you an officer or were you enlisted? I was enlisted. Okay, now that leads me to my next question. Why did you go to ranger school? Like for me, when I went to ranger school, like that was required. But for you, not being an officer, but you were in special forces. Yeah. Most of those guys don't like to go to ranger school after you've already put yourself through all that crap. Why would you do that again? 100%. Yeah, when going through special forces, I mean, we already have to go through a three-week selection and then a two-year training part to even uh-huh. get the opportunity to be calling ourselves, you know, a Green Beret. So right. you're right. You know, I would say maybe 80% of the regiment, they don't want to go to ranger school. They're like, why? We got the long time. <laughs> oh, no, dude, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it was something for me, man, because I didn't join the military originally with the idea of going SF. Right. I was yeah. actually an 88 Mike and I was actually oh. in an ROTC program uh, when I joined. So yeah. I did the S&P kind of. Gotcha. And I had full intentions of commissioning. But after I had joined the Guard, I jumped out of air, went to Air Force School and Air Assault School within like eight months list, as an 88 Mike. At that point, I was hooked. I was like, what is the <laughs> toughest things that we can do? And immediately, anybody in the Army knows one of the most coveted schools that you can go to is Ranger School. Sure, and for, and sure. for me, that it stayed with me. It was, I was kind of like always in my heart or whatever, all the way through. Even though I got the Green Beret, it was like, still got to go. Still got to get that tap. Okay. Nice. When, what class were you? Sorry, Mike, this is probably boring to you. Sorry to our audience. You're good, man. What was your class? I'm just curious. Are you talking about winter or summer? Yeah, yeah. What year, what month? It was uh, 2016. And I don't okay. remember the months. It was definitely around, it was considered a winter class, but it was at the beginning of the winter when it didn't even get yeah, cold yeah. yet. You know, so it was like one oh, of those okay. first, first class. Yeah. I'm just curious. So I went in 04, so totally different span of time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'll see if we we're close to it, if we knew somebody that went through, but anyways, we can go off of a different topic. Literally like 12 years apart, Dan. Sorry. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> yeah. years apart. So, well, I mean, from Dan, from what you've said, when you went to ranger school, they were still trying to kind of figure it out. Like they were just like throwing you into stuff to see what would make you guys break. I imagine that 2016 would be different. Uh, not ranger school, maybe some other stuff, but like in general and some other military, like early on in the war, right back in like 04, 05, when we were deploying like things, it was a wild west. But yeah, ranger school is pretty much still figured out mm. because that was, that's been around since like Vietnam era. They've changed it a few times and actually they've changed it quite a few times, but mm-hmm. it sucks no matter what you're doing. Yeah. That's yeah. terrible. It's a great so, time. Great time. Yeah, Plenty yeah. of rage of school <laughs> stories. Right. There you go. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I know. You guys, you guys can start a different show. You know, where you just talk right. about ranger, there we go. Oh, ranger stories. Yes. Yeah. 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 Ranger just story. interview guests. All nothing but ranger <laughs> tab guys. <laughs> oh, geez. Exactly. Man, that would get canceled so fast with the stuff that Dan says when no one's around, let me tell you. But <laughs> no, of course. He would never do that. Dan's very PC. He's also the yeah. head of our HR department, our company, so he better be. Exactly. I yeah, exactly. I guess the reason I went on that, I, the reason I went on that line of questioning though is because like, it just, I think speaks to some of your background, Michael, because like, it really is like, if you're, once you, be, you become a Green Beret, there's no incentive to go to Ranger School. Right. That's like some David Goggins shit, man. Like, I'm just going to go do it to get my ass kicked. You know what I mean? Because I want to and you have a goal and you do it. And, and it's not an easy task to do when you don't have a reason to do it. Right? You just did it from mostly just because that was your goal. Mm. Yeah, 100%. And you know what? I've never been compared to David Goggins, so I'm going to take it for sure, right? But, uh, yeah. and I've been told this a lot by my fiance and by others. It's, you know, it's like, Mike, why are you doing it? 
why are you going back yeah. and maybe getting your master's yeah. degree when you already run a successful company? And it's like, you know, mm -hmm. well, one, the military paid for it. So that was a, right. a very big incentive. That? But two, it's like, why not improve yourself mm -hmm. in some area one way or another? For yeah, sure. totally. I mean, absolutely. I will say, I think Dan kind of like gave you a slight compliment there. So you should be honored, Michael, because he doesn't do that very often. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm taking the David Goggins. As soon as we get out of here, I'm, I'm literally getting that tattoo. <laughs> right? well, he, I mean, because he went to Ranger. Well, he, I guess he was kind of forced, he said, but he went to Ranger school too as a yep. Navy SEAL. He had no reason. He had, they don't typically do that. So anyway, awesome. Let's dive into your, your fractional CFO stuff because I think that that's something that is super, I would say like unique. I feel like it's a newer style business model. It's only been around for a couple of years and it's probably super applicable, especially to a lot of real estate operators out there. So what exactly is a fractional CFO and how is that different from just having like a bookkeeper or an accountant or, you know, whatever, a VA that like does your books shittily every month, right? Like, what, what do you do? What do you do that's different? So, so what a lot of people don't really understand is that there's, there's actually two styles of accounting. You have your tax accounting and then you have managerial. Mm -hmm. And so tax accounting basically says, what have you done? Let's react to what's already been completed and then we're going to do our tax preparation or whatever we can do to help you pay lessons. Managerial accounting is saying, hey, look, this is what we're doing. What can we improve on so we can focus on our future, our forecast of profits and things of that nature? So it's two different styles of accounting. And a lot of times people will go to tax professionals, CPAs, our bookkeepers, and they're expecting to get some sort of advice of what should I do in my company to improve my profit? Hey, is this a good real estate investment? Hey, even though I'm making $30,000 on this flip, is it actually worth it? Is there something else I should look at besides the dollar amount? And so that's where fractional CFO services kind of come into play. We step in and we actually do the coordination with the bookkeeper, with the CPA, but we keep the entire financial department on the right track, right? Sure. So when we're looking at taxes, it's not just what do we file for? No, it's what's the strategy that we can implement in 2024 and in 2025 to get us to our ultimate goal five years down. It's interesting. Uh, hey, you have two or three different investment strategies. Well, let's evaluate all three of them and see which one's most profitable. Maybe we stop wholesaling and we only focus on wraparound mortgages or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, so it's almost like a strategy. So, so I guess like who's your sort of ideal client in this case? Is it like larger companies that are... I don't know, have like a bunch of different facets of their business? Are you like targeting people that have like just large portfolios? Are you targeting a person that flips 15 houses a year? I can't imagine that that would necessarily be quite as applicable. Like, like who's your ideal person? So anybody who has an established business, we can help. All right, now Dude. that's the very key distinction there. So typically we look for some key markers. You, you mentioned 15 deals a year. If that is the trajectory, that's the standard. We do about 10 to 15 to 20 deals a year, to me, that means you have a system. Okay. You have a system in place that can generate leads, get to the closing table and produce revenue, right? So that's kind of one of the metrics that we look for. There's a lot of people who said, hey, I've done seven or eight deals and maybe they've made a lot of money. It's not really a system, it's just them. They're just out there kind of flipping. And in those situations, we may not actually offer CFO service. We do offer bookkeeping and tax strategy services. So maybe that's more of a one-time deliverable type of conversation. But the CFO services are more in tune with people who have systems that we need to work on improving efficiency. Nice. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I, this gives me like, I don't know if it's good memories or bad memories. When Mike and I first started, 
we didn't really realize it, but we kind of had like three businesses at least. We had our our buy and hold portfolio, yeah. which needs a a lot of people, like even if you go to a lot of accountants, like they're like, yeah, we don't really do real estate. Right? Yeah. Or they say they do real estate, but then they don't know. So we went through a few bookkeepers and accountants before we found somebody that can even help us from a tax perspective on our portfolio. Mm-hmm. But then we were doing wholesaling. We had a wholesale business. And then we would also, we layered in flipping, which you can kind of count as a third, but you know, same as wholesale business. Yep doing its own thing. But then there's these opportunities where when you're flipping it, you carry it through one tax year or you keep it longer than 12 months. And now it kind of falls into a different category. Mm-hmm. And it was a mess. It was a nightmare. And we, we really struggled with understanding where to, which levers to pull and when to pull it. Cause like just figuring out how to account for all of the income and expenses in the right way was overwhelming. Do you yeah. have any, like, I don't know if it's stories or tips and tricks because I think a lot of people are in that situation. They, in, especially in yeah. our in our network, they're they're investors and they're wholesaler flippers. Like, what do you see that you're like, hey, yeah, you should raise your hand. You need help, or what do you it, give them advice on those people? Because you know that they're probably struggling if they were like Mike and I. Yeah, one hundred percent. Your situation is extremely common. We see oftentimes people will come in, um, and I've got all kinds of stories. One of my clients right now, they do about twenty million dollars in revenue annually, and this is consistently over the past couple of years. However, their net profit margin when they came to me was 1%. <laughs> oh, 1% at $20 million in revenue? Oh, Were yeah. they giving themselves salaries or was it just... Not even. It's yeah. just the fact <laughs> that everything was so convoluted and it wasn't being tracked accurately. They had multiple companies. They uh, separated their companies by state by asset class, by everything. And then they had a management company too. And they were just like, oh, we're going to move this here and do all this because it was advised to them by a tax, Uh not a tax attorney, excuse me, a CPA, right? A tax advisor. Oh, this would be really good. Then they heard through that tax advisor, oh, this is great for legal compliance as well. We'll be able to separate your assets and your liabilities. The biggest thing is when we get into these complex situations, if you don't have somebody who's laying out the strategy for you or walking you through these strategies, oftentimes, even when you set these up, it all fall apart because you do not know how to manage. A lot of times when you have multiple companies, if you're moving, you know, that's called commingling. You can commingle <laughs> between your personal and the business or between two businesses. And that's those are the important things to know. So ultimately, the biggest tips that I put out there is, one, everybody needs bookkeeping. Period across the board. If you're not even, if you're not skilled in it or you're trying to learn it, don't do it. Uh-huh. Get somebody who knows how. Now, here's the other thing because you've mentioned this. There's a ton of bookkeepers out there. You need a bookkeeper who understands real estate. Totally. Because there's going to be situations where people are going to ask, well, hey, I'm doing these improvements or these repairs. Do I put them on the balance sheet or do I put them on the income statement? Uh-huh. Yep. Hey, when I sell this property, do I report the sales price or only what I received on the HUD? Yep. All of these things are important to know. And if you do not have it accurate, your chances of getting a loan goes down the drain, right? The what you're paying on taxes will always be inaccurate. You might be overpaid and never know it, right? Never taking advantage of those yep. things. So all these things are important. But I think the easiest way to start is getting a bookkeeper who understands real estate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's so funny, like too. So I, I learned through business school as well, like, Going to a lawyer, you're going to get their perspective. Going mm-hmm. to an accountant, you're going to get their perspective. Going to a tax accountant, you're going to get their perspective. And if somebody doesn't know or have the ability to understand your entire goal and strategy, they're going to give you what advice they're experts in. Yes. And then you should definitely talk to multiple people when you're doing these things and get multiple answers. 
And I think that's where working with a fractional CFO or CFO who really is looking at you, at your entire business and talking to you about strategy is going to help. One other point I was going to make too was like the bookkeeping piece of like, definitely I agree. Like Mike and I struggled with that for so long. And and part of it was like, we were trying to bring it in house and have a VA do it. And, and which is, there's nothing wrong with that. And we actually have one of our virtual employees doing our coding for us, but we pass it off to a bookkeeper now because it's just, for us, why do we want to become experts in that? Where we want to become experts at buying and selling properties. We want to become experts at flipping houses and wholesaling houses. That's kind of what I have found. There's a, and that's not the only task in your business you should be outsourcing. Yeah, well, I think that's like an evolution that business owners have to go through, right? When you're starting a small business yourself, you think you have to do everything, you know, yeah, and right. everyone, I mean, a lot of people don't even get past that. You're cost sensitive. A lot of people never graduate from that. And that's why you have this like hustlepreneur culture where people are, you know, working 100 hours a week a lot of the stuff that they're working on, they probably don't need to be doing, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to things like their finance and their accounting. Like there are whole companies like you, Michael, that specialize in this, you know? And if you don't need something as big as what you're doing, there's a lot of like smaller versions of it as well, Absolutely. whether it's a bookkeeping service or something different. Yeah, I think it's really important for, you You said it perfectly, it's about the scaling, right? It's the evolution of it all. And so many times, and this is why, in my opinion, it's very important to have an, a total target, right? An end goal, something that you're actually working for, an objective. Because too many times we'll hear people say, I want 100 doors. Why? So they breach financial freedom. Where'd you get that number? Well, $300 of cash flow times, X amount, that's how I need it. It's like, all right, but that has nothing to do with how many people are you going to hire to manage this? What are you looking at for uh, your time commitment in Who's handling your finances? Are you outsourcing all of that or are you bringing that in-house, right? Uh, what else do you want to do with your life? And as you start to put those pieces together, the road becomes very clear of where you should move money, how you should scale, when you should hire somebody, what's going to be the most valuable use of your time. And as entrepreneurs, especially in the real estate space, if we're good at finding deals, we need to be spending all of our time finding deals, mm-hmm. not doing the renovation, yep. not doing the books. Totally all of those other things. So I oh, think you hit the nail on the head that a lot of people don't realize when they're ready to evolve, they also have to graduate mentally and be prepared to have those levels of, of conversation. Totally. I want to pivot a little bit and ask you some uh, questions about different metrics, right? Because I think that when you, you're you talking about managerial accounting, like, yeah, our tax accountant is not telling us how to manage our cash flow, right? And not managing how to get a better return on our assets. He's, he's really just giving us almost, it's almost like a, a play-by-play of what already happened from a tax perspective. And so uh, Mike and I are actually knee-deep in trying to make sure we're paying attention to the right metrics in our business. Are there key indicators, uh, and let's we'll just keep it isolated to flipping and wholesaling type businesses that you would recommend and that you're basically, as a fractional CFO, you're helping them set up those, those key indicators, those KPIs from a financial perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest things that we need to look at holistically as a company is the net profit margin, all right? That basically says, what did we profit compared to how much we've earned? And a lot of times people look at the net profit and only the dollar amount. They also don't look at it from a company perspective because a lot of times they'll say, hey, I flipped this property and made $20,000. I made a 20% return on this property. Now, if we look at that on a financial statement, that $20,000 really and truly is our gross profit line because now we have salaries and other expenses that we need to take into account. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so understanding our gross profit margin and net profit margin is, is very key. Now, when we think about this, gross profit margin basically tells us how efficient or how skilled are we at creating a product, 
Yeah. Right. How much time, energy, money we need to put into the renovations, the purchase, so forth and so on. So when we look at a wholesaling business, let's think about that. We're not purchasing the property. We're not doing improvements unless maybe it's a wholesale. So our gross profit margin should be high. It should mm-hmm. be very high, above 80%. Now, if we think about the flip, now the flip, we got to purchase the property. We have to put in fifty dollars to $150,000 of renovation. We have holding costs now. We have all these other things before it's ready to go on the market. So now our gross profit margin is going to be significantly lower. So we need to understand that. By looking at, I'll give you, and then net profit margin, it washes out across the board. It shows us how efficient are we at making a dollar and earning a profit from it. So I'll, we'll use the same client as an example. It makes $20 million a year. He came to me with a 1% profit margin. His gross profit margin, his gross profit margin was 10%. Yeah. Gross profit, that means he spent 90% of all of that $20 million on purchase price, renovations, everything else. So yeah. if I was to ask you, hey, where's the first place we're probably going to look to improve this system? Where would you think? I'm going purchase price if I can knock it down. Yeah. Yeah. How are we purchasing? What's our buy box okay. criteria? Are we making smart decisions? Do we have go, no-go criteria? What are we doing with the improvements? Are we, uh-huh. are we actually on a budget? Are we negotiating anything? Are we holding the contractor uh, to a standard? Are we meeting a certain timeline? All of those questions become very clear that that's where we need to focus when we look at the finances and we see these glaring disparities in certain key areas. So, I mean, those are just two main ones. I mean, obviously the list goes on, but that gives you an example. I mean, going through that, you can instantly... Think about all these different like influencers and business gurus here on social media and realize they're all full of shit. I'm so glad you said right? it. Right. They don't know any of that. They don't yeah. account for any yeah. of that. <laughs> I'm yeah. so glad you said that, man, because right now the biggest push with everyone has been this way for two decades, really. But people and the gurus promote how to sell more, mm-hmm. how to mm-hmm. sell more, how to sell more, how to make more money. The way I look mm-hmm. at it is how do we keep more of that money? Totally. Because if you right. tell me you want $100,000 in profit every year, well, we could do that with $150,000 worth of sales if we just run it efficiently enough. Uh-huh. We don't need $10 million worth. So I'm glad you said that because that's something that a lot of people don't pick up on the sales versus just how do we be more efficient? How do we just yeah, keep more? Work? Absolutely. Well, just when the financial education and business education with the average person is low, I mean, it is complicated to learn, right? It's very easy to have someone that comes on and says, we did 10 million in sales last year. It's like, but what does that mean? You can do it. Like uh-huh. you just said, you had a client that did 20 million in sales and they were doing a 1% profit margin, $200,000 a year, right? Yep. Off of 20 million sales. That's a lot of work for not a lot of money. It's a lot of work. Yeah, and I think the the challenge is, is as you start a business, you know your product or you know the service or you have the plan of what you're going to do. And, and generally speaking, a lot of us entrepreneurs, like we know, we do know how to make money, right? right? right. It's what you do after that to get to scale, right? Because you can optimize one flip really well without anything. You can just add up your receipts and you can look at your purchase price and you say, hey, I need to, I need to reduce my cost, right? That's one isolated project. But what you can get into the cycle of is not actually knowing how much money you have, especially if you're managing your, I'll, I'll say it this way, and Michael, tell me if this makes any sense to you. If you're managing your P&L based on what's in your bank account, you're probably going to lose because you're going to say, well, I have money, let's hire another staff member or let's buy this, let's do this. And really, you're just sinking just because you have money in the bank account doesn't mean that you're helping yourself by doing these things. And you're really just adding that, you're making the expense portion of your P&L grow and you're not really doing anything with the top line, which is just problematic. 
Yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. There's a there's a principle out there, a law. I think it's called the Parkins law, but essentially it says like, if we have it, we will use it. And that's right, a human right, yeah. characteristic trait. You know, the best example that I kind of always recall is every every single one of us has been on that one lane road before that we're just like, yo, this traffic sucks. And so all of a sudden, what do they do? They build it out to a two lane or a three lane. And then as soon as construction is done, what happens? Traffic still sucks, <laughs> right? Because if yeah. we have it, we're going to use it. And that's the concept around money. So when we look at managerial accounting, it's all in the word there. It's in how do we manage our money? How do we manage the money that comes in and goes out? Do we allocate a certain amount to new projects? Do we allocate amount to bonuses? Do we allocate amount for us to enjoy life? You know, do we uh-huh. reinvest some allocated amount towards, towards new uh, employees? The management is where the biggest mishap happens in small business. And if you just have a plan, budget or whatever, you know, all of these different things, well, then it takes out all of the guesswork of where do you move your money. Now, as entrepreneurs, we just focus on the deal. We just focus on how do we make money off this flip or this wholesale. Everything else becomes automated or systematized to make sure that your chances of mistakes are very slim. Yeah, right. Yeah, that uh, brings up a good point. And uh, what I've seen and what I've experienced, like entrepreneurs and business owners, they are pretty good at a delayed gratification, right? Like, hey, I'm going to put some inputs into a business and I can wait. I'm going to make an investment in myself or my business. I can wait. The problem with that is, and Mike and I see this with a lot of new folks um, coming into the industry, is they don't appropriately allocate profits to themselves. Yes. And so you can mm-hmm. run a business for three to five years and go bankrupt, basically, and not have taken any profits or good profits from that business. Do you have a way in which you help in entrepreneurs and business owners figure that piece out of like how they should be taking their profit and when and, and all that sort of stuff? Absolutely. I tend to lean back on the profit first method. Mm-hmm. Profit first has been popularized by Mike Michalowicz. He's the one that kind of coined the term. But now there's profit first out there for almost every industry to include real estate investing. And so there is a book called Profit First for the Real Estate Investing by David Richter that I do recommend the audience goes out there and reads. The concept behind it is it takes in a ton of different psychological impulses that we as humans or as creatures are, are accustomed to, and it allows us to put in barriers. So we talked about the principle of if we see it, we're going to use it, right? The other concept is the every dollar concept, which Dave Ramsey has made very popular. Every single penny that we earn should be working, not just sitting there. So we allocate certain money to pay down debt, certain money to go to reserves, so forth and so on. And then with the profit first, it's in the name, we focus on making sure that we allocate money aside profits. Now that profit distribution, there's a ton of different ways to look at it. This is what I like to use. We build up this profit account and then once every quarter, we actually take those distributions from the profit. We split those profits 50-50. So let's say we got 10,000 in there, 5,000 is gonna come to us as the entrepreneur to do whatever we want to do. We want to put a down payment on a Lambo. We want to go on a a beach trip or whatever the case, the Cancun. (laughs) That's what that $5,000 goes to. The other $5,000 goes back into the business. Now, where does it go in the business? That's all part of the strategy. We have to develop. Maybe it's a reserve. Maybe it's a new investment. Maybe it's something else. But by doing that, where two things happen. As an entrepreneur, we actually get to start enjoying the fruits of our labor, which a lot of us, like you said, are delayed gratification. Well, Brought for three or five years uh-huh. and be like, man, I still don't feel like I made any money. It's because we never purposely nope. allocated money to ourselves, right? right? Maybe just a salary to live, but not really purposely allocated. 
And then the second piece is it makes sure that we are investing back in the company for strategic growth, not just, oh, I got a gut feeling we need to hire somebody because I feel overwhelmed. It's like, oh man, let's look at the metrics. Yeah. Do you really need somebody else? If so, let's move this money towards hiring. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. So, you know, you use the profit first method, you go into a bunch of different planning things. So I guess, bigger picture, what exactly does it look like to work with someone like you? What are like your main deliverables? Do you have a team? Are you coming in personally and you're just like engaging with the existing team? If someone doesn't have, say, a bookkeeper or a good accountant, are you providing that? Are you making connections? Like, what can someone expect if they were going to bring on someone to be like a CFO role? Yeah, absolutely. And so every company is going to be a little bit different. My company, personally, is a little bit more inclusive, meaning that we do a lot more of the additional services, such as bookkeeping or tax strategy and things of that nature. So really what it looks like is we start off with that introductory call. We get a good idea of where you are and where you're trying to go. Right. We want to make sure that that's pretty clear, and pretty outlined. Now, from there, once we start the engagement, we're coming in and we're working with your existing team. So if you have a bookkeeper, if you have a CPA, if you have a VA, or if you have whatever is on your staff, we're integrating with you guys. We're coming in as your CFO to your company. And we take that role very seriously. The CFO typically is the right-hand man to the CEO. So we're going right in there. We're going to sit down next to the CEO and we're going to operate just that as a leader within the company. If our clients need help finding or screening or interviewing CPAs, bookkeepers, and things of that nature, then we absolutely help. Once we're in a, that role, we go into a full dissection, like we're deep diving into every aspect of the finance. So kind of how I alluded to earlier, where we talk about gross profit versus net profit, we're looking for specific KPIs to see if they're out of whack, and then we're deep diving into those areas. So there's times where we're going to conversations about, let me see your SOPs. Let me see your process map. Let me yeah. see your, your buy box criteria. What's the script or the qualifying process that your sales agents have? You know, things of that nature. What are your chart of accounts inside of your financial statements? Does it make sense? Does it, do yeah, you understand it? Hell, that's mm-hmm. half the problem. If you don't understand right. it, we need to change it. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. So we go through this entire reformation process. So at the end of it, uh, working with us for however long you intend, the idea is that your company's financial department has completely shifted and now it's efficient. And now you know how to manage and operate it as you scale it. Gotcha. So then working with someone like you or, you know, the fractional CFO just in general, is it normally, I guess, like, are you on as like a salary? Is it a monthly subscription? Are you committing to a year? Since you said you're right actually the CEO, are you looking to take additional profit for the company as it grows? Like, what is that originally? You don't need to give like specific numbers. So I don't know how you negotiate that, but just like what should people expect in terms of like that actual transaction? Yeah, 100%. So when you go to a, a fractional CFO, just in general, they're first going to do the analysis on your current situation. So just like you guys mentioned earlier, somebody's doing 15 deals a year, mm-hmm. maybe, and with lower profit margins, they're not even ready for like a full all entail, we're coming in, we're sitting in every week. Hey, move over. I'm going to run this meeting. They're not ready. We do offer that. But when we offer that, typically it's at a much higher level for a slightly larger company. And we're probably doing a percentage of the revenue or the profits that we can help you. As we kind of scale downwards, sometimes you'll see annual agreements or engagements or six month or three month intervals. But for the most part, you'll see some of these locked in at a monthly retainer, right? So I'll give you an example of like for me, we can come in and we can work together for one month. 
But as we all know, this takes time to develop. So I always ask for a minimum of three month engagement, but our actual contracts are only month to month. So you can cancel at any time, right? Most fractional CFO services are going to operate very similar to that, but there are going to be some who will put you into some sort of agreement just to make sure that we get the progress that we need to get because it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And that's like, that goes, Mike and I found that with our services in real estate, like, because we run a lot of services through our partnership program, or even just through our coaching group, like people, I don't know if it's instant gratification that they want or whatever, but you can't do things in a month. You can't do anything in a month. Now, right. You can't definitely can't improve your financial, financial outlook for your business or build a good forecast that's even valuable in a month, right? You, you really got to spend time three to six months, I would imagine, to really let things marinate and actually see the progress and dive in and find the knobs that you need to be turning. That, it's such a good point because even if you just think about this bookkeeping, how often do you get the finalized bookkeeping report? Once a month. Mm-hmm. You might be able to get it weekly, but now you're paying extra for that. And once a month, you're getting our reconciled books. So before we can even make a change on anything that's happened, we have to see what happened that month. Then we got to know, hey, what's the pattern? So I can't look at one month. I got to look at three months or four months. So you're exactly right. It does take time. There is that instant gratification pool for a lot of entrepreneurs just in general. But when we start thinking about how are we developing the company, how are we going to start treating our business like big business? Like right? it. But at our scale, we have to invest. We have to be patient with the intervals and understand that it could be a, it could be a 12-month plan, six-month plan, two-year plan, five-year plan. So it works long. Yeah, that fast gratification that people always want is just makes these things so challenging. So our main business, Michael, we run this, um, Stan mentioned the partnership program where we stand up and operate wholesaling operations for people. So basically they want to launch wholesale operation in Fayetteville. We bring the marketing, we bring the sales team, we bring everything. And then how it works is we basically charge a monthly fee and then our team closes the deals and we ask for like a fixed wholesale fee for every deal. And then you get all the upside you would be amazed at how many people are like established operators and come to work with us. And after month one, we haven't closed like three deals and they're like, I, I'm going to keep doing this. <laughs> it's yep. like escrow process is 30 days, bud. Exactly. Like, give us some time. <laughs> Dude, it, it's wild. And the thing is too, is like our, our monthly cost isn't like extremely over the top. It's less than it would cost them to have the team on staff that we have working with. But just something about like when you're a service. And so like imagine for you as a CFO, because if someone was to hire a CFO, they're like, yeah, I'm going to give them six months, figure it out. They go, they hire a CFO service. They expect it to be immediate, even though it probably costs net similar or probably less than if they had a high level executive on staff, you know, and it's such a weird thing. I don't know. I think it's because like when it's a service, people mentally treat it like Netflix. Like they feel like they can sort of turn it off, whatever. Yeah, but you know, that's, that's not how any of these things work, especially in business. No, man, that, that's super awesome. So I guess, what does your, your company overall look like right now? Um, like, are you taking on new clients? Are you trying to aggressively grow it? Are you working nationwide? Yes. So we are working nationwide. Uh, again, we, we focus on the real estate niches. So this is a real estate investor, real estate agent, property manager, uh, contractors, things of that nature. We stick with the area that we really know. And we are taking on new clients. Yeah, we just actually brought on some more team members with the expectation of scaling in 2024. So absolutely. Very cool. So yeah, so you guys are interested. You should definitely be hitting on Michael here and we'll probably have a little chat with you after the show as well. But uh, awesome, right? Well, I really appreciate all the insight on this. Super, super valuable. You know, and it's a 
It's a part of business that I think gets butchered, especially by real estate people. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a, probably a lot of missed opportunity they don't even realize. But we're going to start to wind down the show here. So we have our end of show questions, uh, which are the same three questions that we ask everybody that comes on the show. And the first one, which is always the crowd favorite, and uh, I'm sure you have some good ones as you, uh, you have a decent sized portfolio. But what is your craziest real estate investing story? And this can be a big win, a big loss. This can be about the time that, you know, you had a tenant that went off the deep end and decided they were going to start raising capybaras in their living room, like whatever. <laughs> that sounds like that was a personal story there. It sounds like that one is <laughs> close to home for you. <laughs> one of my craziest stories, I actually, I tell this one sometimes, but uh, it was when I first started investing. And it was one of those situations where I'm a very logical thinking person. So I looked at this, this opportunity to wholesale a house and everything just made sense to me. Numbers made sense. It should have been a good deal. So I was still active duty military. So I go in, I'm negotiating with this individual and she's like, I would love for you to sell this house. I'm tired of it. However, my brother's still living it. And so we talked to the brother. The brother doesn't have a place to go. He's like, hey, look, I'm unemployed right now. If you kick me out, I'm basically gonna be homeless in the moment. But if you can sell this, the sister promises to do something with this and give me a spot. So we go, we go, we get it under contract. The brother moves out, everything. All of a sudden, due to my profession, I get orders, we're moving out. We're, no, we're flying overseas in like three weeks, right? So now I'm like, crap, I can't see this thing all the way to close. Um, I'm about to deploy. I don't even know if I can close while I'm overseas, which by the way, you can. I didn't know at the time. <laughs> and uh, so what I did was I handed off the entire contract to another wholesale. And I said, hey, man, you can keep all the profits, man. I just really want you to be able to close on this deal because now I want to make sure that they get, you know, seen through, follow through. I deploy, I come back. I've been trying to hit up the, the seller and the other wholesaler to see what was happening. Nobody responds. I finally get in touch with the seller and she's like, well, whoever you handed it off to never contacted me. Wow. My brother was actually homeless for about three months and I oh, ended geez. up foreclosing on the property. Oh, wow. At that point in time, it was like a dagger to the heart because I felt like I just completely ruined this person's life. Now, long story short, we amended that. You know, I was able to make it up, helping them out a little bit here and there. But that was one of the biggest lessons for me at the time. A lot of times as entrepreneurs, we come into something looking at the dollars that we can make. And that's the first real experience where I realized that we impact lives every single day within the real estate industry. So that's that's probably the craziest one that I have that comes to top of mind. That's so understated right there is like people forget this in this business. They think about the money, but they don't realize, you know, getting a property under contract, people make life changes. Right. Just like you would when you were selling your house, you'd be looking for a new place. You would be packing. You might hire a mover. You might put a deposit on a new house or an offer on a new house where you have, you know, earnest money that you could lose. And a lot of times these are people that, you know, they can't afford to do a lot of things, you know, unless it's the, the landlord situation where they don't really care about the property or something. But man, it's, I'm glad you said that because all too often, I think, I feel like sometimes it's just Mike and I screaming that and nobody actually else, nobody else talks about it. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's such a problem right now too, like, because the new determination of what your business looks like if it's successful is, are you making money? And they don't actually look at the impact that you have uh-huh. with the people involved in your business or that the people you're doing transactions with. Totally. It's become super prevalent right now too with like all the pace more be subject to bullshit, which I can't stand because yeah. you have all these people that do not understand the ramifications of those style of transactions. 
and you have them going and lying to the seller about yes. the fact that the mortgage is still going to be on their name. And then they're selling it to some dipshit buyer who's brand new, who has no intention not of qualified, who's not qualified, has no intention of being able to perform on the deal. And then all of a sudden you have the buyer that's probably overpaying for it. And you have the seller who's now going to have this debt, uh, this debtor pursue them. And you have the person in the middle, you know, the Pace Morby shill that's like, peace, I got my $20,000, I'm out of here. And then they're going to go and talk about this deal that they just did and how great they are at business. When they just screwed over everyone involved, right? Yep. And in any sort of transactional business, this is a huge thing. And it is, you know, wholesalers get a bad rap, but really it can be a services-based business, even though people don't believe it. 100%. You know, I believe that we always operate in integrity, right? Mm -hmm. What you do follows you. Absolutely. Right? It follows you, period. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that have put a bad name on wholesaling, that have put a bad name on creative financing. And what's crazy is that if you just lead with value and you just operate with integrity, you know what? You'll never be without. You will never be without. Now, you may not be making as much as somebody else might be making in the moment, but you have, I'm, I'm positive you're going to have more longevity. No, of course. Yeah. And it all, it all just starts with intent, being willing to, to recognize that. So no, that's, a, that's a pretty wild one, though. That's a, that's a lot of good lessons. All right. So second question, what is the number one tip you would have for an investor trying to take their real estate business to the next level? I'm going to re reiterate this one. Bookkeeping. <laughs> the, the, real <laughs> tip is, uh, the real tip is track your money. That's mm -hmm. the real tip. And so it's not only your money out when you're paying for marketing or paying for services, but the money coming in. Track to see where is it going? Are you spending it on gas station snacks? Are you spending it on things that are actually returning value or increasing your investment? And just track. Because oftentimes when you track, what you track will grow. And mm -hmm. people don't often track their finances enough. Do you know why people don't track their finances? Because they don't want to see the shit show. <laughs> no, so, no. So seriously, it's because it is really fucking depressing when oh, yeah. you know that you just made a million dollars and you realize that you're only getting like 20 to 25 percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah that's, a, that's a really good point because a lot of time, well, money, money conversations here in America tend to be taboo anyway. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now right. we're, we have this comparison that has really been scaled up due to social media and everything else. And ultimately, that's why I think having an end goal, if, if someone came to me and said, hey, look, I need $5,000 a month because that will allow me to do X, Y, and Z. And that's all I really care. Well, let's create that business. Mm -hmm. Let's not worry yeah, about yep. chasing the, the pace morbies or whoever. Right? Let's not chase that. Let's create that business, which changes the game about it gets rid of comparison. It allows you to comfortably, intentionally track your money. And it's, it's something that's a little bit more tangible and bought into. But yeah, you're, you're right. It's a very hard conversation to have when somebody pushes a lot of work in then they realize that they didn't really keep much up. Yeah. It's a, and it's a hard conversation to have with yourself. And then it's even worse when you see something like, you know, David opens his toys on YouTube. He's like nine and makes like $8 million Who's a year. making <laughs> yeah. so much money. Yeah. And you're like, what is happening right now? I'm not doing yeah, something that's right. That's funny. All right, Michael, last question for you. Where can people find you, follow you and reach out to you? Absolutely. You guys can find me on Instagram at michael.s.glassby. You guys can also find me on YouTube. Michael Glaspie, the real estate CFO. Uh, that'll probably estate. be the best way to reach out to me. And then uh, you guys can go to the website as well, www.g2businesssolutions.com. But if you want to reach out to me directly, the YouTube and the Instagram is going to be. 
Perfect. Right on, man. Shot you a yeah, follow. I'm going to check out YouTube channel Me as too. well. So awesome. sweet. Right on, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. That was a great clinic on real this estate awesome, finance man. right there. Super, super helpful. And if you guys are new in your business or you are trying to figure out why your business isn't growing as well as it should be, it's probably go re-listen to this episode and probably reach out to Michael as well because I guarantee you, you're not looking at your numbers as well as you probably should be. And doing so could change the trajectory of your entire business. So reach out to Michael. That's why people come on these shows is because they want to engage with you. They want to get in front of more people. Um, you know, Michael seems like a nice, personable guy, but at the same time, <laughs> yeah. he does this for a reason. He took time on his Wednesday night to come and, you know, talk to you guys and give you guys information. So definitely let him know that you listened, reach out to him and let him know that uh, you love the information that he shared and potentially inquire about his services as well if you're interested. So besides that, everybody, we appreciate you all and thanks for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Collecting Keys. Drop us a five-star review on iTunes and send us a screenshot to Mike at collectingkeys.com for your chance to receive a free Collecting Keys t-shirt.